Some months ago, a certain other Lord of the Rings-ish TV show prompted some fans to say, well, now we're really going to appreciate the Hobbit film trilogy, won't we? But after that certain other show ended, first season anyway, we actually saw little appreciation for the Hobbit film trilogy. Mostly, the Lord of the Rings fans wanted to criticize that certain other show. Uh, for my part, I never stopped appreciating the Hobbit films, though, but I do feel so alone in a company of dwarves uh, who really seem to hate the Hobbit films. Today, our special guest returns for some friendly sparring about the trilogy, whose first film, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, released 10 years ago this week. Welcome back to the wilder lens of Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. This is episode 141, 10 years after an unexpected journey, must we really hate the Hobbit films with our returning guest, Rillian of Narnia Web. I'm running the show solo today, but if Zach were here, I'm guessing he'd say something about how he's going on an adventure, but uh-oh, he left his handkerchief back in the Hobbit hole. I think both of us have read The Hobbit. I've read it more recently because we did a book quest for that original J.R.R. Tolkien novel just a few months ago in the Lorehaven Guild. If you're a Guild member by subscribing free at lorehaven.com, you can still find all that material there really fascinating book quest actually come to think of it i did not host it that was uh, elijah david who hosted it i just feel like i hosted it uh, because i had a hand in writing some of the questions and i've been blessed to lead a real life uh, hobbit book club that was actually 10 years ago at my local church in uh, central kentucky the first film the hobbit an unexpected journey uh was releasing on december the 14th 2012 actually very long time ago a couple of presidential administrations ago in the United States, uh, certainly years before the pandemic lockdowns and a lot of other world upheaval. Uh, we had that new trilogy announced from Peter Jackson, the director of the uh, masterpiece Lord of the Rings trilogy. And since then, uh, some fans have had, I think at best, some mixed reactions to it. You are likely to hear those with our returning guest, Rillian. He's been on the show before. We'll get to his introduction in just a moment. First, however, let's stop by another fantastical world. That is that of our top sponsor, Oasis Family Media, whose fantasy novel Kelor by J.J. Fisher just released last week. This is book one of the Nightingale trilogy. What if you could edit memories with a single touch? The world that was is gone, lost to everything except a living memory. But remembering comes at a terrible price. 62 years after the apocalypse, a new society has emerged from the ashes of the old world where highly valued memories are traded and nostalgia is worth dying and even killing for. Enslaved by a cruel master, Stephanie Winter is forced to use her rare ability to manipulate memories to numb the darkest secrets of the ruling aristocracy. You can get more information in our show notes for episode 141, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors for even more about Galore. From there, I think that Rillian is arriving in the studio by means of some unknown fantastical conveyance. Let's throw open the doors and let him in from the cold winter. Rillian has just charged into battle atop his mighty Rohirrim steed, uh, joined by a 
thundering legion of 6,000 Rohirrim soldiers. He is from the Narnie Web Talking Beast podcast. I've known him for quite some time. In fact, I actually started, I think my first podcast, the first several podcasts was actually joining them uh, back when it was uh, just the Narnie Web podcast. That's how we met at the Narnie Web Forum back in the mid-2000s. Uh, founded to help uh, share Narnia news and notes, which is how his podcast got started. Now he's doing that same podcast so many years later with Glum Puddle, and it's known as Talking Beasts. By the way, another beast talked about Glum Puddle. I always like uh, citing this quote when Rillian comes back for his holiday specials. It was screenwriter Stephen McFeely who actually co-wrote Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame and the Captain America movies. He apparently was caught on a hot mic saying, Glum Puddle, I have issues with you. So I think we're, what, two, what is it really, in two, three degrees of separation away uh, from like the uh, uh, the guy who's swimming around in his money from the uh, something, uh, from something the like that. Okay, yeah. so big celebrity here. Talking Beast explores Narnia books and films. They have interviewed scholars and actors involved with the Narnia franchise or world one way or another. Big Lewis people too, but also big actors like uh, both Samuel West and Ben Bards, who have both played King Caspian. And they got them onto the podcast to talk about uh, Samuel West being Caspian in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader BBC special and Ben Barnes, who is Caspian in the two later Narnia movies. Uh, in 2020, Rillian's been here before. That was his debut on Fantastical Truth. Uh, he joined us to lament, is fair, uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader film, a uh, 10-year anniversary there. And then a year later, we had a lot more fun reminiscing about the Fellowship of the Ring film, its 20-year anniversary. By happy coincidence, we now have a third anniversary for the Hobbit film, the first part anyway, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, which released in December of 2012, 10 years ago, if you want to feel old. Rillian, do you remember how you saw that movie before we launched into our first chapter about what we thought about it and what we think about The Hobbit films altogether? I watched it in theaters on an IMAX, and I found... I don't know if this is the first time I saw it, but I found a theater that was doing the, because the 3D was still a thing. And I don't even know if they did this with the other two films, but Peter Jackson said, well, I, I wanted this to debut in 3D HFR, high frame rate. So it's right, it 48 frames. frames per second. Yes. It's 48 frames a second. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll watch it that way. And it was next to Avatar in terms of the, mind-blowing visual experience it was unlike any it was almost like watching a play it was almost like watching a cutout so you didn't get the headaches that people reported there was lots of complaints about the high frame rate no. and 3d which as far as i know was still pretty experimental back then yeah yeah and i don't i don't even think he repeated it for the next two i don't he even did remember. though because i saw the he next did? two okay. for the first time in the high frame rate okay. i think we just we went to the theater because we'd heard some mixed reports about it uh, I think we saw it opening night, not not a midnight showing or anything like that, because, you know, we still had to work. But uh, I think the first time we just saw it in the uh, standard resolution, no 3D, okay. no high frame rate. And so we just enjoyed it in the, the old style. Uh, and then yep. we went back and saw Which it in the 3D. my preferred viewing experience. Okay. So you liked the old style of the unexpected journey, un-unexpected journey better. Yes, than I, the I think what I did, I 3D. think at one point I saw it in 3D standard frame rate. And I saw it in 3D HFR. Oh, that weird. Yeah, I think I told people, if you see it in 3D, do not see it in the regular 3D. See it in the HFR. Yeah, like, because, because the higher, the the more frames per second, it, it's a lot smoother. It's a lot smoother. But although a lot of people complained about that because they've been conditioned to think about the higher frame rate, 
to associate that with soap operas and uh, inexpensive, yes. uh, you know, play type performances yes. on the BBC. But right. you didn't feel that way. Not because it was in 3D. Okay. Okay. I think Those because it was in 3D. Yes. I, I, I don't, I don't, I like 24 frames per second. I'm a very old school guy. Yeah. Same I here. don't like, I, I like 24 frames per second more than 30 and I like 30 more than 60. I like those old style movies because I don't like the the smooth, yeah, the soap opera thing. And if I get a TV where it, there's it turns it on automatically, or, or it oh, well, introduces artificial in, flames, in, 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 I, I turn that off. Interpolation, I, like that. I think, is that, yeah. uh, and that's artificial. Interpolation, it's not I actually been. It is artificial, and it does. I don't like it. I always try to turn it off. And yeah, anytime well, I, buy, I buy a TV, I research beforehand to make sure I can turn it, it off. Too. I think yeah. it was Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, I think both recorded an ad saying, Hey, if you get this in your TV, please turn it off. Like this is not how you're supposed to watch the movie. It's going to throw off everything. Look all janky. Yes. So we're in good company there. Yeah. That's the first thing I do. I don't know why the TVs, uh, the, the, um, the HD or 4k TVs do that. I don't like it anyway. Okay. So we're getting into some, uh, filmmaking uh, geek stuff here, which is uh, pretty hilarious given that I am not at all a filmmaker. Like I don't even know how to edit movies on my computer. Please don't tell anybody that I'm not cool. But I feel pretty cool uh, having tracked, unlike uh, the Lord of the Rings film trilogy, which was tracked by the actual nerds who had read the books uh, at their daddy's knee from the age of four. <laughs> I was not that person. I was the person who was scrambling to finish the book, which I knew was out there and knew was cool, but never read until right before I saw the movie. And I will defend myself. I did read it right before seeing the movie, but that wasn't enough uh, to get my own images and expectations for the Fellowship of the Ring uh, back in 2001 which as we mentioned in our last episode, really, and actually probably gave me an advantage where I could know the differences between book to film, but also um, was a lot easier to please. Now at The Hobbit, I had a longer lead time, uh, not only to have read the book uh, much, much uh, further in advance of the films, uh, but then also to get my own images in mind and my own expectations for the book, probably not as high as The Lord of the Rings because The Hobbit uh, does skew younger uh, and is often, I think, falsely, uh, described as being the kids one, wh- whereas Lord of the Rings is the adults one. Uh, and then the Silmarillion and all of the supportive material from Tolkien, like that's for the super highfalutin, very smart, uh, academical sorts. Uh, I think that everything is a lot more accessible across the ages than people give it credit for. Uh, all that aside, we have more time to track the development of the Hobbit films. So that's chapter one of our discussion here. How did we track the Hobbit films development because soon after the Return of the King special edition came out in 2004, and then there was uh, Narnia in 2005. Yeah, The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, uh, which we've talked about. Don Treader in 2010. That's right. But then uh, kind of all along, uh, there was some fan movement. Yeah. Uh, I remember a phrase, wondering if you remember this, let let the Hobbit happen or something. There was a website. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, what do you remember? Maybe you're keeping up with this better now. Yeah, so uh, Let the Hobbit Happen was a campaign, a uh, fan-led campaign that was really cool to see and probably had zero impact <laughs> on the film so coming out. the Snyder Cat, cha-ching, okay. Yeah, I, I don't I, I, I don't still think remember it, really had, though. I don't remember yeah, participating. I don't, I don't think but... it, yeah, I don't think it really had much of an impact. Uh, basically, I think it was just people trying to show, hey, look, there's support for this. Which, I mean, the studio is going to look at like, hmm, where can we make more money? So I, I don't think it made a difference. But there, there was, I think, a push because um, people realized the, the age of the actors was a factor. Uh, of course. Mainly for Ian McKellen. And they wanted Ian McKellen to play Gandalf. Uh, and Ian McKellen wanted to play Gandalf. He, he, 
he even uh Ian McKellen even said he liked playing Gandalf the Grey more than Gandalf the White. Yes, he thought Gandalf that. the Grey was more fun. Um less of a stick in the mud, I think was how he put it. But so yes, Guillermo del Toro was picked eventually as the uh director and Peter Jackson was going to produce it and Peter Jackson interestingly said in his one interview he said i can't direct the hobbit i remember that he, he said yeah. if i he said, i've already done the lord of the rings he said the hobbit, like i'd have to top myself <laughs> he said i have to yeah I'd have, if i have to top myself and, and he was right he was very I'd self-aware with myself that's right he said and I, I said i shouldn't be the one to do it. he goes i want to produce it because i want it to get made but i would love to be the producer and let someone else you know make their vision of it um which is jolly and, sporting of him, by the way. And we'll yes. talk about this later. I think Peter Jackson gets way too much criticism for how these two and then three films turned out. But I'll get to that in a moment. I, let's just point out here, Peter Jackson, Sir Peter Jackson, for the win, trying to trying to hold himself back because yes. he knew uh, that his megalomania needed some uh, control from outside it, creatives. And I think what people need to realize about Peter Jackson is he was someone who came along who loved these books and thought this would be such a cool movie. He was never the, a Tolkien scholar, a Tolkien purist. And, and, and honestly, maybe the I'm a guy who's a filmmaker who loves the Lord of the Rings. Maybe that is the best person to make the Lord of the Rings, not a Tolkien scholar. Right. Um, which I, I am not by any means. I, I know some, I think, but, but, uh, yeah, so as but as the project crept along, there was a lot of rights issues, and you probably have some more of the details kind of laid out in front of you. Uh, MGM had a claim on the rights. That's all that yes. I remember. I remember yes, there MGM was a bunch a of stuff on, with horses I think, distribution. and distribution. <laughs> yeah, MGM right. had a claim, yes. I think, on the distribution, and it came from some of the old all tied cartoons up. and stuff that people had tried to do back in the day, like in the seventies or whatever. And so, New Line and MGM couldn't. We're basically having to negotiate for who was going to produce and who was going to get rights and profit and all of that and that's what bogged it down and eventually they came to an agreement right and we were going to have two films originally the hobbit yep. part one and the hobbit part two it was going to be uh the hobbit an unexpected journey and the hobbit there and back again that's right great Those titles the- by the way straight from the book so you're yep. showing honor for the book from the very yep. get-go and I, I i think a lot of fans would not have complained if we'd gotten a two-part film because everyone thought well you know, with the Lord of the Rings, you know, each one of those books, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, the Return of the King, uh, each one consisting of two uh, uh, portions, like books within a book, and of course, all one story. It's kind of incorrectly referred to as a trilogy. It really is all one volume. The Hobbit is a much shorter volume, but I think everybody would have been okay if you split it up because, okay, yeah. now you know that, hey, you could have done a Fellowship of the Ring part one, a Fellowship of the Ring part two. And you would have been able to maybe do some Tom Bombadil stuff, you know, maybe yeah. put more of the songs in there. And some of that early material seemed to indicate that they were going to be able to more faithfully represent the book in this yeah. two-part film. And I think people were a little optimistic. They thought, well, you could have a each two-parter could be two hours long. You don't, It doesn't have to be a six-hour deal. Of course. Um, yes. And so th- I think people were pretty optimistic about that. And they were optimistic about Guillermo del Toro. Um, I glumpuddle and i had talked about it. glumpuddle loves Gilmer del toro uh if it weren't for one comment he's made about narnia he would have him direct line in the wardrobe uh but uh i think in, in, i'd seen pan's labyrinth so i'd Gilmer del toro but um or i I'd, I'd seen that movie so uh glumpuddle but yeah i thought he was like he was a 
good artist and he seemed to be interested. But I eventually the project length became too much for him. Um, he was oh, it was the development like, delays. He was in was, orbit all the time, unable to yes. land and actually start rolling cameras on this thing. Yes. And it was going to be a long time, I think, for him and his family. It was going to become like a two-year production. Um, so because of that, he eventually bowed out of the film and eventually got to the point where the film was not going to get made if Peter Jackson didn't take the helm. And so I think reluctantly he decided, okay, I'll, I'll direct. So do you think that that was a Peter Jackson, like good guy, Peter Jackson moment there that despite his own misgivings, Oh no, I, I, I don't want to try to uh, top myself. Then he just decided to go ahead and do it because otherwise we would have gotten no Hobbit films whatsoever. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I think that he, at the end of the day, he's a filmmaker who wants to see the films made and love. I think he does love the source material. Um, and mostly understands it or at least surrounded himself with good people, good writers who uh, understood it and came to understand it more through the writing process. But yeah, I think, he, I think he was like, well, I, I'd, I'd like to see the film, <laughs> even if I'm not ideal, ideally the person to direct it. Uh, and so he started doing it. And, and honestly, I think, I think people will correct me on this if I'm wrong, cause it's the internet. Production, I think, had already started when the studio then decided there's going to be three films. That's We're correct. Two. There are going to be three. And the first film was going to end um, basically when the dwarves uh, arrive at Lake Town. Uh, like the, the, the bit with Bard, where Bard is kind of the shadowy figure, pointing, you know, drawing back an arrow uh, at the dwarves. That was going to be the cliffhanging ending for part one. And then the rest of the uh, part two was going to have all of Lake Town and Smog and Lonely Mountain. So that would mean there would have been no uh, Thorin versus Azog uh, boss fight uh, in the burning forest with the wolves, or it would have been a much less climactic affair because that wouldn't have been the climax. The climax would have been the escape uh, from uh, the uh, Thranduil's realm uh, there in the woodland, uh, getting mm -hmm. out of the dark forest, which frankly, that would have been a, a fantastic climax. And by the way, would have been more in keeping with the book because as i mentioned yeah. earlier a lot of people wrongly presume that the hobbit is the kids book and the lord of the rings is the more grown-up version for very grown-up persons not so the hobbit actually has a midpoint and it's right about there actually right before the dwarves uh, come to lake town where it, it starts becoming yeah. much more grown up and it's subverting expectations about the arthurian legendary king who returns because uh, Thorin, as Gandalf says later, uh, does not make such a splendid figure uh, for King Under the Mountain. And yeah. you have those tropes being challenged within the story, uh, not in this postmodern, post uh, you know, gross way that, you know, there's no good parts of the legend. But just as a reminder that, you know, even a legendary king with grievances mm -hmm. like Thorin uh, can fall uh, for the dragon sickness. So yeah. you, you get that in the film, uh, but I think it would have been much neater of a divide if you had. Uh, kind of this more whimsical uh, part one of The Hobbit, uh, whereas part two would have tonally, and this kind of shows up a little bit more in, in the the trilogy, the film trilogy, but I, if it had been two films, then I think part two would have tonally uh, matched The Fellowship of the Ring more. In fact, I think I remember hearing that when Del Toro was the director, that that was the idea, that you'd go full-on whimsy, a little bit closer to uh, the... Uh, uh, the slightly sillier tone of the book, which starts out a uh, little, little goofier, a little more classically yeah. fairy tale ish and Tolkien's cracking wise. And then by the end, it hasn't lost its humor, uh, but it has certainly taken a darker turn uh, with a lot more politics going on than people give the Hobbit book credit for. Well, and Bilbo has to grow up. I mean, it's the absolutely uh, 
I, I kind of appreciate Almost a coming how, of late age story there for Bilbo Baggins. Uh, you know, 12 more rules for life wasn't as good as the first book, 12 rules for life. However, it does mention the Hobbit, which makes it, uh, which is a oh, plus. Oh, you get points for that. Okay. He gets I'm points not for that, either. but it, he had the, it's the go forth young man story, uh, where Bilbo has to grow up. He has to, uh, he doesn't have to lose his innocence, but he does have to become wise. Um, and he does have to become shrewd. And he does that. And it's he does this progressively through the story. And you know, the uh as the uh, for getting into the portion now, you wanted to actually discuss the merits of the film or films. Um, oh yeah, that's just ahead. But uh yeah, so it, it I think that overall that that part was something I think Peter Jackson did understand. But I think overall I'm kind of I'm glad to have seen it and I'm glad that he did decide to make the films. Okay, there we go. So you're going to be a little more positive toward it. Now, some listeners, of course, not as positive about the Hobbit films. Uh, we're going to try to include and respect everybody, but I'm going to defend the films overall. Uh, but I'm also going to roll my eyes very hard at some frankly stupid moments in the movies. Uh, each one stupider even than Arwen sticking her sword under Aragorn's chin in Fellowship and saying, <laughs> what's this? A ranger cut off his guard. Yes, even stupider than Legolas shield sledding down the steps in the two towers. Uh, and even stupider than the mountain of skulls that rain down uh, inside the mountain as uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are escaping in the extended none of which version age of well. the King. No, none of them age none well None of those moments age well. No, they were just goofing off. People remember them because of the memes. Uh, yeah. But you can get the memes without uh, having such um, <laughs> weird moments like that. Anyway, you mentioned earlier, really, in that uh, Bilbo Baggins has to have this kind of growing up experience, uh, which also means that Bilbo has to be shrewd when going into the lair of Smaug, because Smaug has stolen his money and he's laying on them. Smaug is one dragon, but sometimes dragons have a better gift for you, as we learn in our second sponsor, The Gift of Dragons by author Rachel A. Greco. The fate of two species rests on the tip of a dagger. Ever since the Dindillians murdered her sister, Adelaide has plotted a rebellion to overthrow the king and prince who failed to protect them during the attack. Following her across the country is a stranger, not just any stranger, but the prince she's hoping to overthrow, and Adelaide's plans begin to collapse. But Prince Elias has his own dangerous secrets, secrets connected to the dragons that once lived in the land. If he can't earn Adelaide's trust, there may never be any peace for Adelaide, her people, or the dragons. There's an endorsement here from Kirkus Reviews. The way that the author uses dragons in her story is unusual and elevates the suspense. A well-crafted, entertaining plot. And by the way, if you want to see the Lorehaven review, we have that as well at lorehaven.com. You can find all those purchase links, including one to get a signed copy direct from the author at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors, or go to the show notes for episode 141. All right, Cerulean, let's talk about The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, the first of now three films from director Peter Jackson and an all-star cast uh, released in December 2012. I have photos. I may actually put them in the show notes if I remember of myself uh, in line and other friends that we had in Lexington, Kentucky at a theater that fortunately showed all of its uh, movies in brighter colors than the rest of them. So I think if we went back there to see it in 3D high frame rate, uh, some of the darkness was mitigated there when we saw it later. But in this case, we all got in line 
Uh, this is back before you had reserved seating via apps uh, for this theater. So you oh, had to yeah. get in line to get a good seat. Uh, that's kind of dried up now because everybody. I remember when the matinee was $4.50. Right. Yeah. We're so old. <laughs> I remember, son, I remember when it was black and white and you could barely have an air conditioning in there. Uh, it, it was a positive experience, uh, I would say. Um, I I came out of the movie theater. Fine, test happy. out the seat armrests first to see which ones weren't sticky, and you'd sit in. Those. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this was this was the good theater though. Uh, when we went to see uh, the Fellowship, Two Towers, and Turn of the King, it was the little tiny one across the parking lot and then they built this uh giant uh, you know stadium seating theater that just made you realize wow what have we been missing all along and the little tiny one turned into the dollar theater so a positive experience not just because of the theater environment uh, but because i legitimately enjoyed the film i had enjoyed the hype uh, i'd enjoyed uh, after all was said and done the ups and downs of the development uh, i'd enjoyed all of the character posters that they released for all 13 of the dwarves i had enjoyed the fact that they kept all 13 of the dwarves which is madness and decided to give mm-hmm. them all personalities even though some of them you barely hear from them in this in the uh, film trilogy but that's okay you can't keep mm-hmm. that big of a cast for so long bilbo still needs to be the hero and thorin and balin and some of the others need to come to the front uh, i especially enjoyed the fact that they had more time uh, in this movie for the songs because I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, gl- I'd, I'd uh, got some yeah. sneak preview of the soundtrack and I'd heard the Blunt the Knives song, which is almost verbatim from uh, Tolkien's original. And it's executed perfectly. Oh, it's, it's, it's so faithful to the book while still adding its own little unique spin. And it works in the movie. They don't make it cheesy. Right. Not at all. Uh, they're yeah. earnest about it. You know, the dwarves are cutting up and belching and, you know, some modern flourishes that yeah. is not drawing room fashion at all. Uh, as Tolkien yeah. said about the uh, trolls later on in the book. I enjoyed the movie a lot, uh, and I, I will still defend it as, I mean, not as good as the, the Lord of the Rings films, because what could possibly measure up, but it's still, I think, the best of the three uh, Hobbit films. 100%. Uh, yeah, and, and, and a lot of the reason why it works so well is actually some of the reasons that were criticized by critics. Critics, like, why are we taking so long in you know, Bilbo's Hobbit hole? You know, like 40 minutes in until we're finally hopping the fence and going on an adventure. And What's with all these songs? And I'm thinking, you fool like this is what fans came for and sir peter jackson and the creative team knows it i think that you know as i think about the the, it's weird because i have to kind of segment if i look at okay which which film of the hobbits how do i rate each film right and then how do i look at it overall right overall it's a very it's a lot of negatives um maybe almost overall negative because there's so many bad cringe moments right Uh, especially in films two and three which we're going to get to in chapter three yeah but for the first film overall i i I like it i still i've sometimes like rewatched the first one without watching the other ones um and to an extent i think and you know glum puddle my my friend on the narnia podcast he was much more critical of it but the my my takeaway that he definitely accepted was he said hey what do you think like, did you really like it? And I said, I probably enjoyed watching it more than I enjoyed it. And he thought, he thought, okay, because I, I can accept that. And I think for me, it was so much seeing so much brought to life uh, in such a good way. Not all of it, but seeing the conversations with Gandalf in the opening, in this scene with Gandalf meeting Bilbo, uh, you know, seeing Martin Freeman's acting, uh, Martin Freeman might be the single best cast. Perfect. Casting. Perfect. Out of, out yes. of all six films. 
Maybe out of all six. Really? Films. Okay. I think I can't so even think though of anyone. Viggo Mortensen is uh, Aragorn. I'm not a fan of his Aragorn, actually. Oh, oh that's that right. Time. I remember. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's uh, the voice but, and some other things. Yeah. Yep. But um, he's a great actor, but I'm just not a fan of his Aragorn. But uh, there was so much that was good. Oh, you know, my overall take was sort of like now looking back, it's almost an inversion of the Lord of the Rings. You know, I because I've sometimes thought, man, the Lord of the Rings had. It's a, I, it's my favorite movie probably of all time. If I were to look at it as one movie, but there are some real cringe moments. There are just some yeah. dumb to which we've alluded. Stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I've thought, I thought, I thought, I don't know. The, yeah, the the <laughs> stuff that's the best summary of it was actually from uh, Michael Ward, author of Planet Narnia. I was talking to him one time about the Lord of the Rings. He's a, a friend of ours who hates the movies, loves the books, hates hates the movies, completely irrational. She said, like she goes, she goes. Dr. Ward, do you, do you actually like the movies? Do you like the movies? And he said, the Lord of the Rings films are flawed and marvelous. Correct. And I thought that's a very good way. And even like 20 years later, they, they're flawed. They have real flaws and they're still marvels to watch. Um, and there's scenes that it's just, it just blows your mind away even 20 years later. In the Hobbit films, it's almost the inversion of that. They're, they're just... Uh, you watch it and you're like, okay, this is uh, a really flawed f- film project with some moments that are just amazing to watch. There's just some moments where it's like, oh my goodness, this is so well done. Um, but it's almost like the ratio is <laughs> flipped. But not so with The Unexpected Journey. Unexpected Journey, I liked it. Um, the first half is better than the second half. Agreed. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there is a lot there that I just I just love seeing and I've gone back and rewatched not as often as Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's really interesting when you get the, ex- because of course they added, and they didn't change so much, but they added a lot. Uh, and I will, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, my experience on the Hobbit has been very tainted by a fan edit. I watched that floated around the internet for a while before it was taken down. I don't know what happened to it, but which it, I fan edit it. is this? It's There's so many the, I've seen. There's our number. This one's called the M4 edit. Okay. And it is about four hours, 10 minutes long. And uh, the, the nice thing about the M4 edit, the guy was uh, a visual effects artist. So now, he, was he not the one only... who took out uh, uh, the, the son uh, that, um, yes, Bar the Bowman was. Uh, so, for example, because I thought, okay. well, yeah, because like jumping ahead just like very briefly, for example, I thought, oh man, I could edit the films. I could rip it because I've got video editing software. I thought, man, but then like, for example, you have Bar killing smog. Spoiler alert. Right. You know, Bard kills Pong is like, okay, well, either you I- include all the stupid backstory with his kid, which you don't want, or you got to wonder like, wait, who is this kid just showing up in the middle of nowhere? What's he doing here? And then it makes even less sense. This guy actually cut the kid out, like digitally removed the child. He painted over with boards and stuff. He right? did. So and I was watching that. the film and I was like, I vaguely remember a child in this scene. And then I had to look into it because it's not obvious what he did. It works pretty well in this edit, and, but so I really like that version. And when I watch that, it's an, actually amazing how much it improves the film. Uh, my wife and I watched it, and we're like, "This is actually a, it's actually a good movie, not great. It's actually good it, with all these edits and superfluous things just taken out." And the guy did a, as good a job as you could probably do. But 
So that's been my most recent viewing experience of the Okay, Hobbit. okay. Well, we not be endorsing piracy here on Dar Haven, but... I also own every <laughs> single version. I own the entire... Legally, yeah. Ver- and I, I legally I've, own I've the entire extended cut, so... Yeah, we bought recently the entire Just Hobbit did. trilogy with the 4K disc release. We got the uh, Lord of the Rings last year, and we got the Hobbit this year. So we're going to be marathoning it. Uh, and just taking an extra long time to go reheat our pizza when it's time for Tariel and Keeley to have their conversation about what's in his trousers or whatever. Oh, oh gag, gag me with a spork. Into this. Oh, my goodness. Absolute bottom of the dwarven barrel foolishness there in film two. But we're not talking about film two yet. That's right. Oh, I'm yeah. getting ahead of the unexpected journey. Uh, we're still trying to talk about the happier moments of unexpected journey. Really, and earlier you mentioned that a lot of the unexpected journey is faithful to the book so much that you can, if you're a skilled editor and visual effects artist, and I presume uh, got your hands in some sound editing software too, without access to the original score, that must take a lot of talent. You can pull out all the moments that are direct or arguably uh, faithful to the book and leave out uh, some of the other stuff they put in. Uh, Other stuff in an unexpected journey, like the uh, aforementioned uh, Azog boss fight. Uh, The film adds more tension to basically everything, and that's where the tone starts to change a little bit more distant from the book. Uh, When you've got uh, the dwarves talking about the orcs uh, who are out there uh, hunting for the dwarves as well as wolves. So it it sets that up earlier. You've got orcs and wolves later on uh, setting, uh, you know, the trees are on fire and everything uh, at the end of the movie. That's from the book. Orcs hunt them, yes. Wolves hunt them, yes. But it happens a lot later in the book. Yep. They just back that up a lot earlier and then add this uh, this past between Azog, who's now alive uh, and who had killed uh, Thorin's grandfather uh, during uh, the battle at the gates of Moria. So what did you think about that change, which probably represents uh, most of what's added in the movie, apart from stuff with Radagast and other things that arguably are from Tolkien, even if not from the book? So I'll tell you, uh, when I was watching the first film in theaters, um, I'll just tell you, I, I don't like Azog as a villain. I think it's unnecessary. You don't need it. Um, and ultimately, it's not. There's different types of conflicts within stories, right? You can have a villain. You don't have to have a villain. You know, uh, I don't think that Carmen Punishment is the greatest novel of all time, but I completely understand why people say it is because it might, maybe I'm wrong. It might be. Um, th- there is no villain. Uh, you know that uh the main character is trying to struggle against um it's 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 a soul struggle you know it's a spiritual struggle um and so i think azog was completely unnecessary for a film like this but what's funny this film with the the battle of moria because of course i knew about the battle at moria and and the fight and how thorin got the well, name that's Oak mentioned the, in the appendices yeah it's in the appendices i knew about mm-hmm. it it was one of my favorite scenes of the film it was my i loved that scene i thought it was so cool to see oh it is really cool yeah. But it, you remember when you're in college and you write this, an essay, right? And you get a paragraph. You're like, this is maybe the best paragraph. And you know what? It needs to go. Because if I remove this great paragraph, the whole thing will flow better and it'll just work better as a final product. That's what that scene was. Oh, I see. Not the scene mm-hmm. at the end, not the scene at the end, but the scene in the middle of the film. Um, and, you know, the, the, it was like one of those things where like, I loved seeing this, but it, it shouldn't have been in the film. And that was kind of my takeaway with some of the stuff they did. Um, I will say one change that I was very early on sympathetic towards and and kind of liked for the film early on more than a lot of fans was the leading man Thorin that they did. Yes, um, that's sir, uh, and sorry, I, I do Richard wish Armitage. They, they, had, they had tweaked uh, his age a bit. They had done makeup versions where he's a little older, had a longer beard. They should have gone with that. 
but Richard Armitage was the, I think the best choice for Thorin and oh, he's fantastic. I, I, I loved what he did with the character. Um, and I, some people are like, oh yeah, it's this dwarven Aragorn. I'm like, no, he's not. He no, he plays he's a very... he, he is a proto. He's like David compared with G. If Aragorn is yes. like a type of Christ, then Thorin is like a type of David who yes. is and a good leader uh, with a very mixed up, uh, very yes. mixed up life choices. Yes, and, and you know, a lot of actual great leaders are like that. If you look in the history books, you know, you can find great military leaders. They they have incredible qualities. They also have a lot of real flaws. We see it today in our CEOs. You know, think about famous CEOs like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. You know, they have real, like, oh my goodness, that's not a normal person. There's a reason this person stands out and is doing incredible things. And they have real flaws. They're human beings. And I loved how Richard Armitage played Thorin. Um, and and honestly, I, I thought the actor for Balin was fantastic. Oh, he's wonderful. I thought, I thought all, the, all the dwarves are fantastic. They, they did it, a even great the young job. guys are okay too. Yeah, they, they did a I thought a great job with uh so much of the cast. Um you know, even like you know what? Forget the Tariel romance, Feely Keely, give them uh real beards, you know? Uh right. Otherwise they look like junior I, Klingons. They they do. Uh they should have had longer beards. And like, you know what? Plenty plenty of young guys have have beards. That's okay. You know, uh they could have had beards. But yeah, I think that uh there was so much positive that the first film did. Um, even with, uh, as I was just a distraction. Uh, but, uh, even with the, as being a distraction, I thought, well, the way that, uh, they played off Bilbo and Thorin with the, that conflict, I thought he was still true to their characters. Correct. Yeah, um, I think so. And so, you know, but there, but here's the thing. There's a reason that someone can come along and edit out and basically make Azog a nameless character and just make basically disappear the character and it still works. When you make a film with a villain where you can do that too, you 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 realize. You oh, so realize the fan that. edit cut out the backstory for Azog, like he beheaded uh, Thorin's grandfather. He's and completely this is how... gone. Really, completely gone. Until okay. until so the there's third, no boss fight on the burning he tree shows trunk. Up, he shows up at the very end of the third film. Oh, okay. He's the general leading the armies. That's all okay, you see. So that's he is more not, like the book then, where it's just some random. Yes, he is a random fight. orc okay. leading the armies, and he has no name, and he does not show up on the burning trunk. And you know what? It's flawless. Okay. Well, originally, still burn the trees. They burn the trees. The orcs show up. The dwarves right. are. And then you uh, get the on trees. the trees and you jump the orcs off on the eagles. The there. Yeah. Yep. But uh, well, as long as you don't even see him, and no, it, that, it's that totally flawless. works. Well, it's, you can tell when you watch the when you watch the end of the film, Unexpected Journey. You can tell that the boss fight with Thorin and Azog uh, is a late development. And here's one reason you can tell, mm. and this is very strange. In the soundtrack for An Unexpected Journey, the maestro, Howard Shore, uh, back from Lord of the Rings, uh, doing his musical continuity with the epic soundtrack of this project too. Uh, very, very well done. Uh, the music in the soundtrack is different from the music in the film. The music in the film, it's epic, but if you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, it's also really infuriating because they are doing the theme for the Nazgul for Thorin's boss yes. fight with Ezog. The Nazgul are nowhere near this story. Uh, this yeah. obviously is a temp track. If you're familiar with uh, some complaints about movie directors, you stick some music in there in the editing process to try to help with the pacing and to make it feel more epic for you. And then you replace that with the uh, original music by the actual film composer. 
In this case, they obviously got music yeah. from the Fellowship of the I, Ring and I just think, kept it there. I think it's technically the Sauron theme because it also plays in the prologue. Da, when da, Sauron, da, 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 da. No, that well, that's yeah. it's, it's it's the influence of Mordor, but specifically yeah. that's the Nazgul theme because you yeah. also hear it when they're flying around on their winged uh, right. mounts. Yes. Yeah, and it it doesn't belong there. And it there's doesn't. this other great music uh, that's used in the in the soundtrack, which would have worked. Uh, but I think the reason why it got removed is because there was probably some editing, probably some reshoots going on, and you just didn't have time well, to get the new music. Well, if you in listen there. to that's the just commentary, my theory. haven't read that anywhere. Well, I think if you listen to the commentary, so the final scene in an unexpected journey, uh, that last scene. Um, I have watched all the commentary. It's just so many hours of commentary. I know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You don't get that part of your life back and you have to rewatch the films. But uh, that that uh, last scene was a, a like a reshoot or a pickup because that's right. Okay, they so I am getting needed to pick up. They needed to add, They wanted to add dialogue to Thorin and Bilbo. They wanted to give an arc. I thought it was unnecessary. It kind of came out of nowhere, especially because Thorin's a jerk again in the next film. But right. They, he, they wanted to Thorin back a little bit, to, Anakin style. Like, yeah. To basically say he was wrong about how, bringing Bilbo along. Um, and that was something when they realized they were going to be cutting the film there, they wanted uh, they wanted to have a little We've moment. We've got to have an arc to, high point. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Which also... Well, it does help to alleviate a complaint that uh, definitely recurs among fans for film three, which we'll talk about in a moment. We really will. Uh, it's the complaint that Bilbo vanishes from the narrative. Like it's all about Thorin. It's all about the dwarves and the elves and the fights and the politics. I argue that that actually is in keeping with the book about whether or not they do it well in film three. That's an issue for debate. But Bilbo does become uh, just a member of an ensemble cast, arguably, by the end of the book. Here, they're actually amping up Bilbo's role. Uh, Thorin would have fallen in battle to Azog if Bilbo had not shown remarkable hobbity courage and jumped into the battle, which is something that hobbits do when their backs are against the wall. So it's in keeping with the personality of the hobbit uh, on a journey with these larger-than-life fantasy heroes, uh, and it also helps give Bilbo a little bit of a closure to that arc. Uh, Whether or not they undo it in film two, by the end of film one, Bilbo has earned his place among the dwarves. Maybe too early, and maybe he has to do it again, maybe even two times in the second film. Uh, but you can see at least where they're going with that. And, and that's what I kept thinking when I'm watching the behind the scenes for this movie, and to some extent the behind the scenes for the other two, is that you can see where they're going with that. Yeah. You can see some of what they're having to do is uh, you know, act like Gromit in the uh, second Wallace and Gromit short. You're <laughs> throwing down the train track in front of the toy train to catch the penguin bandit. Uh, and that sometimes is what making movie, uh, make, making movies is like. And I respect that. And I also empathize with the cast and Peter Jackson uh, being under so much stress. You know, Peter Jackson throwing himself in as the last minute replacement director and then having to go from, uh, what is it? Yeah, two films to three in order to do more planning and uh, catch uh, yeah. probably... I don't know whether that was a studio mandate or what, but I won't pass up an opportunity to blame Warner Bros. for something else. My understanding is it was a studio mandate. I don't know which studio. I think um, it, was stu- it was Warner Bros. because they Warner Bros. owned a New Line Cinema at that point, whereas before uh, New Line Cinema was its own thing. So what do you know? We can blame Warner Bros. for the messier parts of the Hobbit trilogy and the DC movies. Uh, we can just blame them for oh, all the yeah, things. Everything. But yeah, the, the, but so much was stretched. I think that's why the visual effects suffered in the films because they they had to add so much stuff and the visual effects in the hobbit films it's one of my big critiques it's not as good now there's another reason no, it's not they as look good. they look glossier it's yeah it's because they have to do more with the computers they, they can't do use more the computers anymore there's this um the 3d 
there's this really great YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. Oh, it's yeah. these three visual effects artists, uh, and they'll review films and they'll point out and do, they do a great job explaining why some films that are newer, like why is it that black, the costume in Black Panther doesn't look as realistic as the Black Panther costume in Civil War, which was earlier, you know? Uh, they talk about like what happens in the, because th- there's just people, they can't just magically snap their fingers and it right. just looks You've got great. time and planning and you, you have to light this out a certain way, it. knowing when you're going to do And every, it I think with The Hobbit, everyone just thought, oh, let's just, let's just do it digitally. We'll fix it in um, post. We'll fix it in post. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, well, they got rid of all the practical goblins in the cave scene when all the dwarves fall into the goblin king's lair they and did. replace them with the CG goblins, which they also okay. Be, because they also got rid of all the bigotures. That's right. Because the they wanted to problems. film in 3D. Yeah. If you fi- you can't film a big in 3D because your mind will immediately re- sense the scale of it, right? Right. You have to simulate 3D. the 3D with the uh, all yeah. digital environment. So now so there's no there's reasons and limitations for all this. Right. And so it just not, not it didn't look as good. The most realistic part of the the entire trilogy was the first segment of the film with Bag End. Right, which is all practical, and yes. yet they're also doing it green screen and very careful practicing with the cast in order to which put is, Gandalf in there with the, the dwarves. Probably the best oh, green screen. Ever it is done. absolutely seamless. I remember sitting there watching that in theaters and going and knowing that these are not actual uh, little person actors. You know, they're probably no. taller than Gandalf. And, and Ian McKellen says he all... almost quit acting over that. Yeah, scene. and I remember. Do you remember the clickbait headlines about that? The, Ian McKellen almost quit The Hobbit. Rages at director. Uh, and then I remember seeing that and feeling kind of disappointed, but also trying to keep an open eye uh, or an open mind. And then when we watched the uh, BTS for The Hobbit, you saw the subversion of the clickbait because, yes, yeah. Ian McKellen got very frustrated. It was very intricate to plan this out and hit your marks and talk to people yeah. who weren't there, who were actually practicing in the other scaled set next door. And on the camera, you know, there's a camera that's it was just a mentally the stressful thing is what it was. Sure, And it would be for anyone. Uh, yeah. anyone because it's all still very experimental i think what was it three different uh size placements although bilbo's uh you know obviously one person among 13 dwarves in there so yeah ian mckellen and they're confessing this all in the behind the scenes so they're not hiding this they're actually yeah. being surprisingly open about the anguish of this and then in the next bit uh, you see that they have got uh, ian mckellen his own wizard space where when he needs to rest when he needs to take five he can just retreat in there and Maybe that's uh, where they, they you see the meme picture of Gandalf on his MacBook. <laughs> I think that's where it yeah, came from. So you see in the behind the scenes where they they made up, they reconciled. You know, it was yeah. a creative problem, uh, and and yet the clickbait ignored that and acted yeah, like I, it was all some terrible disaster. Yeah, I, I felt I felt like you know, but it was one of those things. I think you probably realize now the the 3D didn't get them anything in the long run. You know, no, you think, not okay, really. Walking back, uh, you know, everybody had to do back. 3D, though. That was yeah. that was how you showed that you were. Well, that's that's like that's what Avatar um, Way of Water. Uh, I think they're going to do 3D showings uh, by the time this episode comes out. Uh, you, you faithful listener may have already seen it. I, I don't plan to. It's not my fandom. Uh, but hey, whatever floats your boat, hey, get it. <laughs> but that was the thing. You had to compete <laughs> with the 3D movies because that was a thing back right. in the um I guess the early uh, 2010s. And so of course the Hobbit had to be in 3d. That was the big, uh, big technical revolution back then. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's unfortunate that that little fad cost us some great visuals and, and maybe even some acting, but um, you you know, the, I think, because I have the extended versions too, which I have so little, little. Um, but I'm really glad that I still have the theatrical cut of, unexpected journey because 
pretty much in every case the theatrical cut is superior okay well I, the one thing i remember is uh, about the part two where they add back the scene with gandalf uh sneakily introducing all of the dwarves to bayorn yes uh, the I bayorn additions were the that. only thing that was good about yeah, well, that's the only thing i can remember Maybe there's some other would. stuff but but there's right. too much like the Lake Town nonsense. Yeah, in movie three, like I think I'll just revert to the theatrical cut, except for Thorin's funeral. Anyway, in just a moment, yeah, yes. let's go to chapter three there. Poor Mr. Baggins has to go through a lot of suffering, and fans would say that they too can share his pain while watching some of the Peter Jackson film trilogy. But that's nothing compared to the fate uh, suffered by our main character in our third sponsor, the book Infernal Fall by Brian Timothy Mitchell. Despite falling into hell, Daniel Strong is alive. A demon coaxes him deeper and plans to take him to Satan. Hell and its many horrors weigh heavily on Daniel. His hopes decay, but the Holy Spirit remains with him. Will he give in to the darkness? Will he find his way home? Infernal Fall is a modern twist on Dante's Inferno. Grab your copy today and discover if there is a way out of hell. Looks like we've got two links here for paperback and ebook at Amazon, as well as an endorsement from boom, same endorsers before Kirkus Review. A remarkable cast of characters guides readers across a terrifying but compelling landscape. I can concur with that. If there isn't anything more terrifying or compelling than hell, I don't know what is. That's Infernal Fall by Brian Timothy Mitchell. So really, in chapter three, do fans really hate the Hobbits trilogy or do we just hate parts two and three? Uh, you see a lot of Internet complaints about the Hobbit trilogy. But as I mentioned in the intro to this episode, a lot of people decided, thanks to that other uh, prime Lord of the Rings ish streaming show uh, that uh, which we shall not utter here. Uh, it's not too much. Uh, a lot of people said, well, we're going to really appreciate the Hobbit now. You know, Sir Peter Jackson is still, uh, still a fine upstanding filmmaker. Unlike these, uh, Bezos, I'm sorry, yeah. Bozos, I uh, think just got here. <laughs> um, and yet afterwards I, I didn't see a lot of clickbait videos saying why the Hobbit movies are actually great. Uh, like I was expecting to, uh, I don't think I'm trying to fill that void because I like you have major complaints about films two and three. Uh, yeah. probably especially after the extended version of film three, which adds this stupid, mindless R rated slicing off troll limbs with the black blood so uh, ice sled scene. It's Where just out of nowhere. It's like, complete. We're, we're watching this, like good grief. Even the extended version of fellowship of the ring didn't have, because you, you learn behind the scenes. Yeah. We have actually like an hour's worth of dialogue between Aragorn and Elrond at, uh, Gil Rayan's memorial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like no, seriously, I missed they, that part. It's, no, it's a lot. They said they have like a lot of stuff that they put in there that they just ended up cutting out. Wow. Even so the extended version, extended, like they knew to not include everything. Oh, they no, don't even, they not. knew we're not going to include every single thing. In the right. Yeah. No, it's not it's like, like it's a make streaming it a drama film. where you have to pad out yeah. the runtime or anything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But even but, at least that is inexpensive <sighs> dialogue yeah. exchange between two people here. Yeah. You've got millions of dollars making the sled chase come to life and making jokes about the anatomy of trolls. And it's just stupid I just think, mindless stuff yeah so i'm gonna I, rant about that do, do people hate do fans hate the hobbit trilogy i think i know they hate parts of the of the parts i do i, I hate, I hate the tario keely stuff i Here, cannot here's the stand thing it. though i think a, i think even fans are like, are like oh, i hate it i here's the thing and this is like glumpital was saying oh no i think the rings of power is better than the hobbit i'm like what no 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 because and here was my argument to him 
Okay. I said, See, I have not heard that episode yet. Talking Beast, uh, y'all were talking about it. I yeah, need to go listen to it. We talked about Rings of Pr- Power, uh, Rings of Prime. Oh, you uh, uttered it here. Okay. The Black so Glumpuddle thought Rings of Prime was Hearing better than the Hobbit trilogy. Um, I don't believe it says it. it, it I don't, I take a counter position to that. And my argument okay. would be 10 years from now, I will rewatch the Hobbit trilogy and okay. I will, you know, argue about certain things of it you know and say yeah, you'll go microwave bad. your pizza for a long time yeah, during exactly that one part. and okay. i'll say hey we're gonna watch the extended version of unexpected journey and we're not gonna watch the extended version for battle of five armies um or we'll watch a fan edit right uh just grab the funeral scene off of youtube or something yeah, yeah. For, for film three so like there will be we will rewatch the hobbit films not as often as lord of the rings but we will we'll, we'll rewatch them i will never rewatch season one of rings of prime I just won't. What's the point? What am I going to get out of it the second time? Um, so you're a but, bigot. Okay. There <laughs> exactly, you go. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, cancel, cancel they really thought it would be cool to do like a, hey, what if Eowyn was uh, actually the leader of the Northern Armies in uh, Rings of Prime? And that's how they did the Rings of Prime show. It but, was also um, 10 times insufferable <laughs> based on but, all the clips I've seen. I've not watched it. If you're a Rings of Prime fan, you know hey, what? Morphic Clark is a very you, good actress. Morphic Clark is a very good actress for Aowen. Could be a direction problem. Could sounded more to me like a writing problem. It sounded more like a writing problem. No it's fault on the cast. A writing, it's a writing problem. The cast is actually surprisingly good actors. Surprisingly mm-hmm. good. Right. Um, you can only do so much with the material. It's the creative given. minds behind it is a problem. But any oh, back to the Hobbit. I again, like there's a reason I rewatched the Unexpected Journey more than I have the other films. I don't just like hmm, let's just rewatch. Battle of Five Armies. Let's just rewatch. See, I would say an unexpected journey was flawed but marvelous. But like you said, films two and three invert that. Uh, there's some marvelous moments uh, in film two, yeah. like Bilbo with Smaug, absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, film three as well. Like I mean, I, I don't mind parts of the battle. Moments. Even the like parts, I. Go ahead. Yeah, well, even like the the goodbye with uh, Bilbo and Thorin. I was just about to say that it's so well done. Oh, it's, and beautiful. it's just the acting. The acting yeah. is. It's just two is people. So right. realistic. But in some things, even, uh, you know, there was some bits of dialogue that I, I still felt like they missed out. Like they have a line from Gandalf at the very end of Battle Five Armies where Gandalf says, you know, remember Bilbo Baggins, you're only a little fellow in a wide world, wide after, world all. after all. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that line, it, it's a nice line and it's memorable from the books, but the book. If you read the book, it's actually a much more profound statement, and it speaks to Tolkien's theology, really. Where oh, yes. what Gandalf actually says is he basically says, because he knows about the ring, he says, "Do you really think that this was for, uh, this was it's, all for by your own?" Luck? A, you don't suppose all these adventures happen by chance. And, and the you movie don't all happen by own, as being yeah. about the ring. He knows about the ring. He knows Bilbo's yeah. been using it to his advantage. But he the says, book, you don't suppose it's all by chance for your own profit, right? Right. And he says, you need to remember you are a little fellow in a wide world after all. Right. It's a very overt nod toward Providence there. It really uh, is. In the book version. Yeah. So it's a nuance missed by the film. Oh, I wish they would have included that. You got the words, you missed the meaning. Yeah. Which is a a chronic failure of film uh, adaptations for sure. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, no, there's so many. But even, and I think it also speaks to uh, something I talked about in Rings of Prime, one of the problems with the show modern script writers when they're adapting a lot of these books when they don't have dialogue that's one of the problems with rings of problems they didn't have a lot of dialogue to work with um it they're very on very shaky territory and what i think we see if you look at all the lord of the rings films and the hobbit films 
um, that when they have a scene to adapt, say, and they want to go kind of a kind of create, like, Hey, let's show something that we didn't really see fleshed out. Right. Let's flush this out. Right. That would, let's expand on this from the books when it's a visual element, like the foundations of stone with Gandalf fighting the Balrog as they're falling, it can blow your mind away or the prologue, right? Where they're showing something, they're flushing something out that wasn't laid out quite in that, in quite that detail, right? It can blow your mind away when it's something visual because they, they're very visually talented. And when it's like, you know what, let's draw a lot more dialogue in this plot point. It starts to fall. It starts to cave. Um, when they go in these entirely new directions, like with Tariel and stuff, it's just in Legolas, it's just like, what are you doing? But the they ha- can ha- they can do a good job in the writing if they kind of keep it centered on something in the story. You know, probably the best little bit, one of my favorite bits of like just original dialogue writing in the whole Hobbit trilogy was where Bilbo tries to leave when they're in the mountains, they're going into the misty mountains and yeah, in, in the cave during the storm, he's in the right. cave just before they're captured by the goblins. He's trying to escape. And I think it was Dory uh, or Nori. So like, where are you going? He says, no, no, you, you're one of us. He says, no, you, you're dwarves. You don't belong you're, anywhere. You're, you're and he realizes the company he, now. Yeah. He, he realizes he, he always thinks he says, you don't belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you can just see the hurt right in his eyes. And he says, no, you're right. We don't belong anywhere. And, it's this just a great little moment with, where they let the actors do their thing and actually act. You know? Right. Yeah. It's um, not visual effects. Uh, it's, it's not overwriting and it's not dumb Hollywood yeah, stuff. I'll get to that but, in a second. But it's the dumb but, visual effects and it's the overwriting that right. tanks the Hobbit films and keep. And I think that, you know, it, I almost have to put the Hobbit films sadly, because we were talking about this on the Narnia podcast. Like, Hey, where are the Narnia films now? I said, you know what? No one's out there like rewatching the Narnia films. Like every, like, let's watch we watch every Narnia film uh, once a year. You know, there are people who still like do Lord of the Rings marathons. I don't know people that too many people that do Hobbit marathons. I don't know too many people that are like let's rewatch the Narnia films every year. I will rewatch the Narnia films, especially like the first two. I'm never going to rewatch Boys of the Dawn Treader uh, because but, you are wise. <laughs> but I'll rewatch the BBC version. Come on, um, and I and did. It was, fun. it was fun. Serpent can't be missed. Yeah, yeah I'll rewatch no, the BBC version. But it's a great drinking uh, game, and I will rewatch the Hobbit films uh, once in a while. You know, I will probably I'll read the book to our kids, and we'll probably watch the Hobbit films, um, and they'll groan, and, and then I'll say, "Oh, but guess what? The Lord of the Rings film is actually good." Yeah, it's actually that's great. kind of the advantage to like. I think uh, my wife and I will watch maybe the Hobbit films once every two or three years, mainly just because we're we're completionists, but not such completionists that we're going to watch uh, all of that dadgum uh, ice sled chase where we're talking about uh, the the trolls berries or whatever. Oh, it's just terrible. The great I'm thing not, is that I'll sh- read the book to our kids, show them the Hobbit films, and then we'll read the Lord of the Rings, and they'll say. I'll say, ah, but guess what? The Lord of the Rings films, it's actually better film and the visual effects are better. So, right. So improvement in go- every direction. Exactly. So it's not like you're watching the prequel and it's so much better because it was made later. It actually works in reverse. So I don't mind watching the <laughs> Hobbit films first. They are shorter. Uh, they are much more cartoony. And I don't mean that always in a good way for sure. Right. Uh, there's so much more interference there. And, and I may kind of end with this. And this is why, uh, for my part, this is why I, def- I, I don't hate Peter Jackson. Uh, I may hate much of the Hobbit films, especially in parts two and three. Naked dwarves uh, dancing oh, around. Oh, the thanks. No, I didn't want to remember that. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. I know. Things like that. Like, it's what like that's in an the extended world that version. I just Yeah, watched. it's like partial fleeting nudity. And then suddenly, yeah, you're seeing like, what? What? Oh, that better be prosthetic. 
that better be prosthetic. I, no, don't I think they're that. all digital. I think that's how that's how crazy it is. Like they did it all digitally. They weren't even they that's why it looks so weird. Okay. Well then it's okay, Christians, if it's all digital, but <laughs> at least they didn't get all those fine men <laughs> down to their skivvies and uh and and less uh, to show this stupid little sight gag. Yeah, so I, I hate that. I hate that in the first movie. Uh, I hate the Tariel Killy stuff in the second movie. I do not like but it. But even in the third film, even some of the stuff like the way it was, they made it too cheesy. But even the stuff, uh, the acting from, um, oh, it was the actor Thorne. We just said his name. Now, Richard Armitage. Richard Armitage. Right. He did a great job. And Graham McTavish as Dwalin. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He, he's so good. And the actor for Balin, I mean, I was like, this is so, these guys are so good. Yeah, and even under all that makeup, job. latex. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is like you read the guys. Lord of the Rings, you get a better idea of the friendship between Bilbo and Balin from the Lord of the Rings than you do from the Hobbit. Right, and that's because the friendship that, continued. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and that's uh, that, that's put into put, the Hobbit films where it's not the in the Hobbit, book. And you realize, yeah, the oh, books, they, later yeah. books are informing the Hobbit adaptation, yeah. which is like, something fans would, complain about, and I don't know why. I don't know why you complain that you show Gandalf and uh, the other council members going to Dol Guldur to cast out the necromancer. That oh, is really because I don't like that. Really? You don't. Okay. Oh, no, I right. don't. All right. No, so I let's don't. fight. Okay. Yeah. So uh, see, I, I like it because you explain where Gandalf went. Otherwise it's just too book faithful. When Tolkien himself later said that Gandalf and the other council members uh, went to Dol Guldur to cast out the necromancer. Like, okay, well, I, I kind of want to see that. It's kind of cool. It's really it, cool. I think. I thought it was really cheesy. I thought they okay. looked, like, I thought it looked like a well, it's kind like of, bad graphics from a boy band. Uh, okay. With the, with okay. The oh well, the, oh, the album cover where they all line up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty <laughs> yeah, metal. That's what I was saying. That is pretty uh, metal. Also, I'm pretty sure from the book it was more like uh like an actual siege. Like Sauron brought like war machines. Uh, Sar- 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 sorry, Saruman brought war machines. Uh, you know the uh, the the uh, Galadrim you know came and fought. Uh, it was it was actually like a real battle right it wasn't just because they knew the necromancer was there there was a question was like oh this is abandoned oh he's hiding here secretly he got an invisible army with a right. spell well, in this version um, he sent out his armies to join the five armies so are, yes. are you are you actually complaining that peter jackson showed restraint and did not show this other giant battle no, I'm that's what it happened and so i but i also thought i don't know i kind of would have rather just been like more mysterious and i think they could have done it if they just built up just how wizards are like wizards just like they will just show so up to preserve the mystique of gandalf yeah they, they, they'll just show up and do the thing and then they'll leave and i think that they like set it up enough uh to say look gandalf actually like has other things and he's helping thorin but he this isn't like his whole right. life's mission this right is now. gandalf's side quest he's so, doing it for the extra I xp it but was, it turns out to figure into the main quest i, I thought it all. could have been done better and plus it also okay. has so much cringe moments like the boy band that you should have stayed dead i'm like oh my oh God, well so that's just like... movie stuff yeah uh, <laughs> but I, I like elrond showing up uh i i do like the respect shown to sir christopher lee who by that point can barely move but god bless him i thought uh, yeah that was cool. christian gentleman was cool. and yet he's obviously a a you know a younger fighting man uh, for his the, uh, the only thing about that scenes. for the for the sake of the lore that i thought was really cool was where they don't have Galadriel armored up, which Rings of Prime would do, and they have. The she's part also where, OP, rightfully so. Film the Galadriel part where Galadriel, still, she's actually tall. She's not five foot five like in right. Rings of Prime, and she just effortlessly just picks up Gandalf. Which the books right. don't say she can do that, 
but you assume that she you can assume because she's that she the oldest could. one there. She yeah. probably could just pick up uh, Gandalf if he had right. passed out. Well, in the so, extended version, you actually see her. She comes on and this orc starts to attack her and she just looks at him like, what is this? And then she just shoom. And you don't even yeah. like it, it's the worst. It, well, it's it's not mechanical. Like there's no magic system there. It's just she is a powerful elf. Yes. That, she can do I liked, that. I liked that a little more than like the same little thing with the banishment of uh, with, with Sauron and, and Gandalf is like whose shield up oh, oh, I got an, uh, some more hit points oh. <laughs> you know, it's a total it's a total shown in anime battle there which is probably why I actually <laughs> liked it better than others but oh man we could we could go on about that but it's if it's a favorite scene of mine just because there's some titanic good versus evil I, flashes there I, I and it's that. um uh, it's uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is the voice of Sauron. The but for me, it's, it's also the bit with the it. I kind of have to think about like, again, like the Battle of Moria was maybe my the scene I enjoyed the most. Oh, I see. So you dude, I, I maybe enjoyed the most. The I was like, it didn't belong in there. Okay. Okay. You know, I love the Battle of Moria scene. I rewatched it sometimes. Just going into, oh, what's the Battle of Moria scene? That was cool. And but you know what? It shouldn't be in the film. So okay. No, I see that. Now the one thing I think that is should not be in the film and should can't shouldn't even be watched uh, independently. Uh, is the added boss battle versus Smaug at the end of film two. Uh, that soured my experience of film two. Oh, Unlike where he's film going one, through the whole... Oh, place. this whole Rube Goldberg contraptions, and then they're riding around the mine carts, and it's just yeah. a total Lego video game. It is like a video game. Unfortunately, too many uh, film writers, they they, they think, it, oh, how would this play in the video game? And like, that's not how... like. No, don't. No, don't, don't think do about that. Now I know that they did yeah. that because of the reshuffling of two films into three. You have to yes, now give that film to, a bigger here, climax. Here's another thing. So I will say think. this: the biggest flaw with the that uh, the any of the probably any of the fan edits. So they they like to cut that stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. But when you watch that, the uh, you realize one, they've actually they cut out some dialogue from the book with Sauron. Uh, oh, sorry, Sauron, Smaug, and uh, Bilbo, which was a mistake. Oh yeah, no. You yeah, they shouldn't that. have done it, but you also realize, oh, there's actually not a whole lot of Smaug in the film, and it's the biggest weakness when they do that because you're like, wait, he was barely here. It's very short from like him showing up to dying, and then you're like, wait, so what's going on now? That's one of the problems. I think that's that's it was a bad solution, but that was the problem that they had to find a way to tackle, and that was the wrong solution to it. Right. But it is a problem if you actually play out the film with just the dialogue. It was all to build up, especially because his other problem. Right, because you have three films, they made it three films. So then the percentage of time building up to this conflict is lengthened, and they shouldn't have done that. So that's one of the problems that they kind of created. Because um, you know what, you don't feel that way when you watch the old Hobbit cartoon, which I've never seen. Actually, I, I've seen the. Oh, clips. you haven't? No, I have not. And everybody, that's, Dude, you're about awesome. to do what everybody like, does when I say Golem I haven't seen the Rankin G- Bass cartoon. Golem is a German frog. Um, okay. The elves are like aliens. Oh, um, charming green elves are like literally green. Hey, do they like have long hair? Because I don't, I, I can't. Yeah, do they have long hair, hair, but they're like okay. aliens. Actual elves, um, and the, like and aliens. Smaug is a cat. That, yeah, I have seen, I did see the clip there. Yeah, but you with know his, what? Uh, with his it's headlight actually, eyes. I loved it as a kid. I okay. loved it. See, and I never saw it as a kid, so I've missed my window. I will never you, have you, that positive association that so many fans it. have. You missed out big time, but you know what? It's actually probably the one of the some of the. The, one of the best pictures of Gandalf. Here's what I will say. You should, here's what you should do. The, you should go and watch the scene where on YouTube, it's all on YouTube where Gandalf rec, uh, rescues the dwarves. 
Okay. I swear. Wait, which I, time? Which time again? All right. Uh, the sorry. The we rescued the dwarves from the goblins. Okay. Okay. I in the chaos versus the goblin king. That, okay. The scene in the old car- Hobbit cartoon. This is one of my complaints with Unexpected Journey. The scene where Gandalf kills the goblin and the king goblin king and rescues the dwarves is actually cooler. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> you're like you're actually like almost wanting to cheer okay. for Gandalf there. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's a, a, it was a little the... underwhelming the way they did it, and then it was kind of goofy with some stupid dialogue from the yeah. Goblin well, they're letting that guy just have too much fun with the character, and they they obviously had a lot of respect for this comedian guy. This drag guy whatever who was doing the, uh, the yeah Goblin King, that and they was just the problem let him run away with it, like it, how it was work. even fry is a fantastic actor but you know what don't make him a centerpiece of destination of smug don't make him a right dis- well that's another glitch by the way that seemed to be uh, a problem like why in the world did uh, steven or the the master of lake town's stupid greasy sidekick take over movie three oh, that should have been did. the master of lake town even if you got him a bunch of dumb stuff to do and then finally yeah. get eaten by a troll yeah. or whatever it was, it was oh, one of the weirdest, that's one of the weirdest directions right well, i think i think i can explain that they didn't explain that but i think they had stephen fry down for one movie i think that that's what happened there and then you you have the the conditions change you've got two movies to three and now he's got to be in both and like I, i'm sorry i've got to head back to england you know oh yeah. okay well we'll take this uh, other guy that we yeah, cast your sidekick and he'll just inherit your mantle yeah. <laughs> yeah uh i don't like i don't like that at all that's so dumb yeah but, and plus yeah. it's just overkill gold's bad you guys greed is bad don't be greedy uh yeah. or if you do then just snap out of it and lead the charge again uh, things like the that, that they just cut out pretty easily from those fan edits and yeah. it was so easily done and that they included all of the dragon sickness stuff with Tharn, except for the part for him sinking into the sinking gold. into the like, CGI gold. Just cut yeah, it out and weird. it's like still plays well. And so, yeah, I mean, well, that's in the book. See, it's almost a, it almost yeah. seems like Tolkien got when ahead of a modern screenwriter book, and says, "Oh, I'll make Tolkien fall into dragon sickness." It totally when, worked. Yeah, when they, when it when they're faithful to the books, it worked. And right, right. Sometimes they would discover it. Sometimes they wouldn't. Like the best example was where they're like, you know what? We need to have Aragorn fighting Sauron at the end of Return of the King. It's not going to work otherwise. And then they yeah, film they it. They're watching themselves. it. They're like this completely takes away from the ring. <laughs> it's like yeah. they all the focus off the ring. Yeah. It's gonna they caught deep. themselves. They caught Arwen they shouldn't have gone to Helm's yes. Deep. They caught themselves. Now, yep. in this case, they caught themselves with that dumb sled chase and they cut it out of the theatrical release as they should have. <laughs> but then, uh, weirdly, I feel like they added they're like catching the themselves extended. like five years too late. And they're like, yeah, oh, shoot, well. yeah. Well, they should have caught themselves <laughs> with the dumb stuff with, uh, with, with too much of the, uh, you know, making Smaug into a cartoon villain at the end of film two. Uh, they should have cut the hints toward the love triangle stuff in film two as well, which by the way, nobody wanted to do. I don't think no that's one was Peter asking Jackson's for this. fault. No one was the studio. I, they basically seem to admit in the behind the scenes that this was a studio mandate because we've got to put something in there for the women and women want romance. And it's kind of sexist, really. <laughs> and it really wasn't is. fair to Evangeline Lilly because she's an actual fan of the Lord of the Rings books and films. And she didn't deserve that. And I think she actually said no love triangles. I don't don't put me in there just to be the girl for the boys to fight yeah. over. Like, that's yeah. dumb. Uh, and I, I don't hate her character, but I don't like what they were made to do with her. And I will get Peter Jackson and, and co off the hook for that. I think the only thing you can blame him for is the dumb ice sled chase and the bloody limbs and all that dumb R-rated stuff. There should not be an R-rated Middle Earth movie. And I will die on that <laughs> that that mountain. I will die. On okay, so we don't uh, really, we do not hate The Hobbit. We just hate parts of it. Uh, I, I don't. It's hard because, like, like I, I overall, I would give like a, I don't know, B minus maybe to Unexpected Journey, and then it's like a C minus, and then like a 
D plus. All right, so we're really there. confusing our international listeners here. Um, B minus is a passing grade, just over a passing grade. D D plus is like just past failure, but an F. <laughs> so there is no E. Uh, an F is a failing grade yeah. in the American public school system. It's, it's yeah, and I mean the thing is like, I just won't. Okay, I'll put it like this: I will watch Unexpected Journey by itself. I will never sit down and just stop and just say, I'm not going to, I don't need to necessarily see the other ones right now. I'll watch them some of the time. If I, I will watch Desolation of Smog and Battle Five Armies if I'm doing a trilogy watch. And that's it. And I think at this point, I don't think I could stomach watching the extended version of Battle Five Armies. Um, I think I would probably do the extended version of the second one just because is so much extra stuff with Bjorn. Well, it's Gandalf with Bjorn. Yeah. He's introducing the dwarves and it's a genuinely good scene. It's very book faithful, even if yes. it's out of order. Yes. Uh, so I think that I would do that, but uh, you know, I, I've sometimes like I've rewatched just the two towers. I've rewatched, I've watched just the return of the King. See, um, I can't do that. I, I my completion. I don't, is I, it's rare, but I have done it. I have okay. done it. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't typically do it, but I have done it like once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if I want to rewatch something from Battle Five Armies, I'm just gonna pull up the scene I want to watch on YouTube. Like, yeah, you know I, I've watched yeah. the Dol Guldur attack a few times on YouTube just because it's it's like, really you know cool. What? I'm gonna in watch isolation. The scene where where Thorin dies, you know, and 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 there were some great moments, like with the the fact that they're willing to let Bilbo and uh, Gandalf just sit there in silence for like a minute. Yeah, with no dialogue. Yeah, just that was act, artistically act. great. You know, um, things like that, or like, you know, I feel like we're just so well done. Even like the return of Bilbo, um, I didn't like the little. There's a sequel, guys. You know, I think one of the flaws with it, even though Glumpel and I had different takeaways, um, he was uh, excited for, with Guillermo del Toro, and then once it became clear. Peter Jackson was taking over and it was a three film project. Right. He said, I wanted a Hobbit movie, not a Lord of the Rings prequel. And he was exactly right. And yeah. I think we all realized that he, he, he just verbalized it very clearly. He's that, yeah. that's exactly what we got. We got a Lord of the Rings prequel, yeah. not a Hobbit adaptation. That's the problem with the Hobbit films. And that's why it's, I, I don't, I, I actually don't even rewatch the Lord of the Rings films. because like, it, it can get, you can't get old. It's kind of nice to like let yourself get some distance and then, oh my goodness, this is so cool. Right. Yeah. At least a year apart. Yeah. Don't, yeah I'm, don't re- I'm rereading the book uh, right now. I'm in the return of the King right now. Um, but uh, it's such incredible books, but yeah, I, I think that I think I had last time I rewatched the Hobbit was that fan of it. It was like two years ago and three years ago, maybe. And I have no desire to rewatch it again anytime soon. I'll probably, Maybe the next year, re- watch the Lord of the Rings films. It's hard because, like, with the the kiddos, it's like hard to find stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. What, Especially if you got did, young kids. Yes. Yeah. What we did was actually we we did the commentaries because you can like watch the commentary and then like oh hey you run in grab the baby real quick you know burp the right. baby or like Plus you can hey, fold laundry while you're watching the fold commentary. laundry you, you know you done. can like you know get a snack or something it, 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 so you can do the commentaries with with little kids and like you know depending on the age what they can see but. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I think at some point I'm being redundant if I just kind of keep harping on. Right. Well, we don't want to be redundant. Like, uh, you know, we don't want to pad things out with extra scenes, uh, dialogue nope. that's corny, uh, action beats unnecessary. 
necessarily repeating itself. Yeah. Repeating no, itself, no repeating love itself. triangles, no uber violence, uh, no CGI naked dwarves uh, in Rivendell. Uh, this just won't do at all. So yeah, we need to we need to edit this one to theatrical length, uh, which I really appreciate you coming back into Lorivan Studios, uh, Rillian, for the third in this incidental trilogy of having you over here for the Fantastical Truth Holiday Special. I think we may have, may have run out of fantasy franchise anniversaries, but I'll find another excuse anyway to get you back here. Uh, maybe go. even we vary the release time and have you over for summer and see if the uh, uh, audience dynamics will still support that. Uh, in conclusion, I think for me, uh, yeah, I don't hate Peter Jackson. I do not hate the Hobbit films. I appreciate them for what they are. A very flawed project, more so than the Lord of the Rings films. Uh, there was a lot more expectations put on these by the studio by the lawsuit with MGM. Uh, there was a whole thing about uh, horses. There was a lot more clickbait titles. Uh, one fan theory I heard said that at this point, uh, it was the Marvel Cinematic Universe that was the designated popular culture geek king. Uh, and there was only one occupant per throne per decade. And apparently, uh, according to this theory, uh, a lot of the nerd sites just didn't like The Hobbit or Peter Jackson coming back and saying, hey, folks, let's have another go around. Uh, it was all Marvel all the time, and it seemed to be uh, some ruination of the story uh, with all these corporate expectations. You've got to put in the silly bits. You've got to have the comic relief. You've got to have the love interest. You've got to have this. Why, that's the formula. You need and to of create course, a product that will have a segment that caters to every audience. Right, which is not know. what the Lord of the Rings films were. The Lord of the Rings films caught lightning in a bottle and were yes. not only big budget, but were genuinely groundbreaking technically uh, with filming on location. Letting uh, an a unknown lot of guy have three million actors. dollars to yeah. film three films at once. It was crazy. And so it was inevitable then that it gets a lot more commercialized uh, for the sequel trilogy. And yet, based on all of those limits, yeah, well, you know, you're a victim of your own success (laughs) to some extent. Right. So that's just, you know, sin's going to, idolatry's going to happen. You know, good (laughs) things can get twisted by human desires. That's just the way it is. And isn't this kind of a theme that's organic to Tolkien's worldview is good things can get uh, melted down and turned into, and then suddenly imbued with an evil from uh, the, before the foundation of the world. That's just what happens uh that's what happened to the hobbit films but personally i don't hate them uh i can um oh what do i want to say here uh i i can love the sinner but hate the sin uh, and some there's plenty of sins in here uh but there's also a lot of common grace uh, which just fits with the whole idea here lori of an eight we discern and enjoy these fantastical stories uh but i do want to get out of the rant mode uh there is so much good in these films i'm going to watch them again probably a lot sooner than you really and i'm going to enjoy them but there's some parts that, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to hit the skip button. Uh, entire scenes on my remote because some of it is just, just mega cringe. Let's just admit it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, unless you got anything else, uh, really, and oh. yeah, where can folks find the Talking Beast podcast from NarniWeb.com? Well, NarniWeb.com, of course. Uh, NarniWeb.com. You, uh, you can find us. Uh, I know we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Prince underscore Rillian. Um, I'm semi-active on there. Um, I try to keep my commentary mostly to entertainment books, movies, um, try to stay out of too many, uh, uh, things that sometimes I can't, I can't help myself. Uh, That's probably wise. You are only a little fellow in the wide world after all. And so am I. And as we were saying earlier, no one cares about my political opinions. That person does, does not exist. No one's going to be swayed by it. So I try to stay out of some of that stuff, but I do enjoy talking about art and culture and, uh, entertainment and, 
literature. So. All right. And of course, the Talking Beast podcast. Don't miss that. Subscribe to that right alongside Fantastical Truth. I will put all those links in the show notes. Rillian, thanks again. Merry Christmas to you and yours and uh, further up and further in. Merry Christmas and happy Advent. That is the third time I've gotten to catch up with Rillian, an old friend, going way back to the Narnia web days. Uh, this may complete the trilogy, or maybe will be like uh, the well-meaning Sir Peter Jackson and his creative team down in New Zealand, and uh, stretch out this series uh, far past its natural ending point. I don't make fun of all the multiple endings of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, by the way. A story that epic deserves several different endings, especially when you have uh, that scale with that level of an ensemble cast. But I wouldn't mind having Rillian back in here uh, maybe next Christmas. We'll see. I think there is another anniversary coming up. Speaking of uh, the return of the king, uh, if we're doing an anniversary show in 2023, it would be for the ending of the Lord of the Rings trilogy 20 years ago in December of 2003. Anyway, lest we feel older than Gandalf the White himself, let's stop by our comm station for uh, more notes about Christmas music. That was our last episode, 140. Zach and I just kicked back and talked about when we should start and stop listening to Christmas music and the debate over that. Uh, we also talked about our favorite songs, both sacred and secular, and of course, the songs that we love to roast over an open fire. And plenty of our listeners uh, also like to roast these songs. They had some hot takes on Christmas music. Uh, we heard a lot about songs that people did like and some clarification about some uh, stuff that we read on the podcast. But of course, uh, being that we want to uh, do some soft clickbait here, I think we're just going to emphasize the songs that everybody loves to hate. Uh, in the Guild, for example, uh, Mr. Roboto, one of our heroes there in the Lorehaven Guild, we read his comments in the 140, and he wanted to clarify his position on one classic tune. He said, My list mentioned on the podcast was for Christmas music written by Jewish people. I'd like to make it very clear that I do not endorse Santa Baby or approve of any version of this song. Similarly, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was the unfortunate choice of an Episcopal bishop for his investiture. He was easily persuaded that he could be relevant to the coffeehouse Christian set by having a folk guitarist play Stiddelnacht and sing it in German. That's from Mr. Roboto. Okay, glad to know about Santa Baby. You know, we want to respect everybody's preferences to a point here. Uh, but although I think we can praise, I think the original uh, uh, artist of that song, believe it or not, is a rather famous Disney villainess. And if you know who that is, uh, it's the same performer with a, a, a very grounded first name. Uh, then let us know in the comments section, wherever you can find that. Uh, by the way, speaking of that song, a uh, fantasy author, Catherine Jones Payne remarked on social media, Santa baby is the worst and it's not close. Uh, I don't know if it's the worst. I, I still think there's some other songs here that annoy me more than Santa baby, but yeah, I'm going to turn off the radio when it comes on. It's just a strange little song on social media too. Andy Sheehan observed last Christmas by wham is a violation of the Geneva Convention. Now, now you got to go bring politics into it, you know, turning it into an international incident. Uh, but I think he's correct. I think he's correct. Uh, Sarah Daniels on social media said, Worst, and so this is Christmas by John Lennon. Hope it's okay to sing that because I'm making fun of it. It's a parody, right? On one of the most depressing songs ever. Best, tough call, but I have to say for me, it's a split between the Christmas song by Nat King Cole and Christmas Time is Here from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I myself like to wait until Thanksgiving to play Christmas music. Otherwise, I get burnt out on it. 
I agree, Sarah. I usually don't like to start too early in November, certainly not as early as all those retailers that are making you poor retail workers uh, suffer Christmas music the day after Halloween when you're trading the decorations out on the floor. Uh, but I do start a little bit earlier. I think the thing is, I just don't have Christmas music going all throughout the season. There are some days like today, I just haven't listened to any Christmas music at all. I'll just get enough, well, oddly enough, a podcast mode. And finally, uh, Carl D. Swinson added, easy one. Santa Claus is coming to town by Bruce Springsteen. Makes me cringe every time. Hey, man, you guys all, you guys all been good this year. Crowd response. Oh, that's not many, not many. Yeah, when he's quoting that, I can hear it in my head, and I don't know why. I mean, I understand a lot of people like the boss, but maybe it's just not my age demographic, but whenever that song comes on the radio, I am just intensely indifferent to it. I don't really understand, and I always end up asking, what are you laughing at? Should this have been a music video? Like, I don't see what's so funny. The guy can barely finish the song at one point because some other band made in the background or a performer or something is saying, ho, 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 and I don't know what's so funny. Anyway, meanwhile, at Lorehaven, we have some serious stuff on the site uh, going into the final month of 2022. We had Josiah DeGraff's article landed, and it's called How to Discern Moral Christian Fiction Without Expecting Sermons. It's part of his Discerning Christian Fiction series. Really great article there, really great discussion starter, uh, comparing our expectations for stories versus our expectations for a more didactic, uh, straightforward teaching in sermons. So check that article out. We also had a review of actually our sponsor, too, for this episode, The Gift of Dragons. You can get all those links in the show notes. And we have a new review coming out this Friday. We have new reviews of Christian-made fantasy every Friday at lorehaven.com. That review is of Power Play, one of the YA superhero adventures from H.L. Burke. Uh, there's a member of our review team who's a big fan. Next on Fantastical Truth. Well, we are preparing for the end of our 2022 podcast season. Between this year and the next, uh, Zachary Russell and I are actually planning to enjoy a two-week break from the show, but first we should open one last present. We'll have one more episode of the 2022 season. What is inside? Is it a toy? One of those empty consumerist things we're supposed to joke about playing and breaking in one day uh, before the kids start playing with the box? Of course not. If the kids break the toy, they would instead play with their smartphones, not a box. Uh, yet, with all due respect for amazing toys, uh, we'd like to talk about useful gifts we received, but still remember years later. In the words of C.S. Lewis's Father Christmas, which tools, not toys, at Christmas helped you grow as a person? That's our next topic on Fantastical Truth. Meanwhile, I don't know how you feel about the Hobbit films. I hope you read the book. Of course, the book is better, but the films are not all bad. I think that we err if we're trying to come up with the best way to roast the Hobbit films uh, like we roast Christmas songs. It's okay to roast Christmas songs, but the Hobbit films, just like weird Christmas songs, do have redemptive value to them. I think we should pay attention to that. We should thank God for that. We should respect the creators and the limits they were under. And altogether, we should have fun uh, roasting or praising the films, which are, after all, mixed up, just like the human heart, but are still capable of great good. That's helpful to remember in the world as we continue to seek and find Christ's fantastical truth. <laughs>